queen as well. He's fucking queen. Uh, welcome back to In the Abyss Metal Podcast. Um, another couple of hours of, uh, of beer fueled nonsense. Um, Anthony's back after a week's absence. Um, done his return to work. Uh, we won't hold it against him on this occasion, but it, it will go in your file. So no more unauthorized absences this time of year, please. I told you. I, I told you previously. You forgot. Well, it's not the point. It's not. It was. It wasn't on the holiday planner, so I'm, I'm not really interested in your. Look, look, you've got to take that up with HR. I've done. I've done my bit. Yeah, fuck HR. Um, you know, he, he, he can't do it anymore. I think they have Randy Bly singing for Bad Brains these days. Um, anyway, uh, we have a um, uh, an extremely special guest this week. Tub thumping extraordinaire from the Grudge. Um, if you uh, listen to our intro music, you can hear him thumping away on that. Um, Bean, I won't call you Mister Bean because that's just bang out of order. But we'll um, we'll we'll just stick with Bean. Um, yeah, Mister Bean's entirely uh, yeah different connotations there. <laughs> not, not so comfortable with that. How'd you do, gentlemen? Hello. I wouldn't go far as gentlemen. You know the rules. <laughs> well, I wouldn't go so far as extraordinaire either. That's not a word I've ever used on my CV. Well, why not? Pick yourself up. <laughs> um, just quickly before we go on, um, you you are you're doing a show just before Christmas, aren't you? You may as well you may as well sell your wares on here. I will. I'll plug it. I'll plug it because we announced it today. Tenth uh, of December is the date to put in your diary at the Dev in Camden, the good old Dev. Um, it, that's in North London. If you're not local, um, so we got together with um house of metal and we've we've arranged a show called the krampus rumpus um yeah so trevor's head are going to be playing the grudge are going to be playing we've got the grand mal there um the gray dunes um black atlas dead lettuce uh and Cthulhu um are joining us as well yeah, so some of those bands I know, some I'm, you know, I need to listen to and just uh, just hear what they do. But 10th of December, uh, it's going to be massive. Really looking forward to it. Be yeah, we'll be, there. we'll be there. And it's free. So as I keep saying about free shows on this podcast, whenever they come up, there's no fucking excuse. What I want to know is, you know, if the band's called The Grudge, right? So surely there's, there's uh, an opening to release an EP called Chip on Your Shoulder. <laughs> there is now. <laughs> I mean, it's got to be done. Just, just, just a couple of songs in an EP, you know. Run with that metaphor. There's no reason why we shouldn't. There's no reason why we shouldn't. Like we, I mean, we're planning. We were thinking. We're toying with the idea further down the line of doing like a covers EP. And I think, I think, Padre, you might have just named it. Yeah, and also like if you're gonna like you know live live the lifestyle of the grudge, and that is just really form completely irrational hatreds of your contemporaries. Like for no reason whatsoever. They like get a <laughs> reputation for it. Well, you don't want to play with them. They just hold a grudge. You know. Yeah, or just this kind of, we, we could probably hold it at like a you know a mild irritation with, yeah, with other yeah. bands. Yeah. Just a bit of a dodgy look, bit of a bit of a squint, mm. and maybe just shake our fists when they turn the other way. Oh grr. Yeah. Oh. Other than that, how uh, how are you cunts doing this week? Everyone good? Yeah, fine. Seems we're all yeah. you know, we're, um, I mean, how, how, how well can you be after watching the train crash when that was the Tory party conference? <laughs> I mean, for God's sake. 
it, it was it was an awkward wank, I must admit. I mean, like, firstly, the woman can't talk. Like, you know, she's got no oratory skills whatsoever. That um, what was it? The Chancellor Quasi Kwatang, is it? His new name is Kamakwazi. Um, That's original. And they're like, they just they're like the Brett Michaels and CC Deville of macroeconomics. I mean, it's. No, that's that's bigger than my way. Yeah, come on, Absolutely. come on. Let's, let's no, not. No, 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 no. Weak. No, fuck off. Poison the shit. Everyone knows that. <laughs> I'm not. We're, we're not. We're not wasting another five minutes of this podcast talking about the Tory party, though. I'm not having that. So, move on and tell me what you've been listening to this week instead. That's much more interesting. Uh, in human nature. Thank you very much to Chris for coming on last week. Interesting chat. Um. Mostly a lot of the bands we talked about in that um in that session. Um but it's like see there's I thought we talked about a band ages ago. Is it Enforcer? Yeah, yeah, we've we've harped on about them loads of times. Yeah, there's a band on Spotify that sounds strangely familiar and they're called Enforced. Yeah. Are they both are they both um Scandinavian? No, are Enforcer, they... Enforcer American. And then Enforcer are Swedish. Right. They they don't sound alike, but it's easy to get them mixed up, obviously. Um, but yeah, Enforced are much more um crossover, a bit more along the lines of power trip and lowest creature and yeah, and human nature, that kind of thing. A lot heavier. No, Enforcer are definitely uh Definitely worth checking out if anyone hasn't uh, listened to them. Great, but not much else going on really. Got a load of newbies that new staff at work started now. So obviously today, I I treated them to um, power trip. They got them out of the staffing quite quickly. I had to read it to myself. They uh, they need Ooh. to be um, they need to be listening to this podcast as well. Yeah, yeah. An education. Is that it? Well, that's about it, really. That's about it. Oh, well, you, you're, you're no fucking good. Andy, what about you? Uh, obviously, Queen. Who? Yeah. So I'm going to nip back my bud after today. <laughs> um... <laughs> Were they all that, though? <sighs> I have opinions. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll come to those opinions yeah. in, in about an just, hour's time. I, I, I just can't do it anymore, man. I just can't. <laughs> Anyway, um, that's it. That's an interesting point, actually, because I think just like like everyone on the podcast, I've been listening to a lot of Queen just in preparation, I guess. But there was a point I was talking about it with the band yesterday. There was a point where I just couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> I just I just maxed out. I completely maxed out. And there was one song in particular, um, but we, we, it'll probably come up. So we'll talk about it later. Do, do, do I have to listen to Hot Space? Really? <laughs> anyway, um, my favourite thing about the Hot Space album is is the image of Brian May on the front cover. It, it genuinely looks like he just didn't turn up that day. So he sent his wife along instead and just got her <laughs> to pose for the photo. But just look at it. It looks so much more like Anita Dobson than it does Brian May. It's fantastic. Brilliant. Um, yeah, following the, the nighty shenanigans a couple of weeks ago, I've been working my way through the Paradise Lost back catalogue slowly um through slowly obviously it. yeah yeah so i mean i've i've wanged on about draconian times enough enough but i mean the first so not the first the second album gothic I was, that's a masterpiece 
proper decent gothic death metal really yeah just never really appreciated it uh, as much in the past but yeah it's made a made a much bigger hit this time loving icon still uh one second i think is um obviously a decent decent uh step sideways um i love that I, album i know i know it got it got panned by a lot of people at the time well, but well i think I, I, it was a bit of a surprise i think the ones after were yeah they were a struggle but certainly that one i think yeah, yeah it deserves deserves credit it's it's great um i think the the self-titled one they did um they hit the first heavy one for the first in a few years that's yeah that that's a bit underrated i think so um definitely worth more listens but um yeah i'll come back to the rest i think some other time uh i've also been listening to a bit of power metal recently which is not hasn't classically been my thing but i think i've just reached that point where i'm just soaking soaking it up and enjoying it so a swedish band called dynasty released a new album this year a bit eurovision but entertaining is that a dynasty um, with the zeds or yeah 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 yeah, yeah. So that's, that's good. Uh, a Canadian band called Unleash the Archers. Um, uh, Canadian music. Who, who? yeah, I mean, uh, they, they, they've re-released an old track as a synthwave version. That's kind of why I picked up on them. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's real solid power metal. It's not as... Where are they from? Canada. Yeah, I know that. Where? <laughs> uh, Vancouver, I think. Oh, that's not Canada. <laughs> It's his own entity. That's in um British Kanichiwa in Japan. Japan. Yeah, it's all it's all very Dungeons and Dragons and whatnot, but uh female vocals, quite, quite heavy, good, worth listening to, I think. Um and Wolfheart, which is again melodic Swedish death metal, a bit more bit more ethereal than a lot of them, I think. Uh some good choruses. There's that word again. Yeah, no, they're definitely definitely ethereal. I say, but yeah, no, I like him then. New album, um, yeah, pretty much it. Mean what you bring it to the party? Oh well, <clears throat> um, I'm still feeling um, like spoiled by by last Friday, I think, because um, we had the the new Strigoi album came came out Alter. Friday, Absolutely and that has power. just absolutely floored me. I've been I've been really 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 um, loving that, just big gothic heavy kind of even like there's a bit of a crust punk influence coming in there so Strigaway um I've been listening to off um released an album as well on the same day if you know um Keith Morris same for Black Flag Circle Jerks so off were like um or are a band uh, I think originally um it was one of the guys from Rocket from the Crypt as well yeah I think the drummer was involved um anyway so for me it's just all about the energy of that i've been listening to that and just a little bit of a psychedelic edge coming in this time there's a few synth um moments and stuff like that. they're quite subtle but that's an interesting thing so that's been good um the new autopsy came out as well last week so that's been um heavy playlist stuff for me i'm loving the album art the front cover to that album um is just it's one of those, you know, like remember back in the day when you buy an album and you just spend ages looking at it and it would tell a bit of a story. And this, like the new autopsy record, it's literally just a guy wearing this cloak made of faces. And like the people who have, have had their faces cut off are, are, are now his minions and they're having to cut the faces off to make new bits of the cloak. 
And I'm looking at it thinking, that's a proper death metal album, isn't it? Yeah, I'm just, I'm just looking at it. It is, isn't it? Yeah. I've, I've been listening to the album as well this week, but I've not paid any attention to the artwork. It's um, well, I hadn't, and then I just, I was on the train, um, look, just you know, looking down at it, and I, and I just suddenly clocked. It's, it's like fucking hell, that's pretty brutal, <laughs> <laughs> but loving it at the same time. Um, yeah, I'm still, I'm still into the new Clutch album. That's that's one I keep dipping into, um, so that's good. Um, there's a whole bunch of stuff, really, and a lot, of, a lot of death metal as well. I think off the back of that Strigoi and Autopsy, it sent me down a bit of a wormhole with that. So I've been listening to stuff like the new Morbicon um, release. They put a couple of sync singles out um, recently ahead of an album. I think they've got an album. That's the collaboration. Um, is it members of municipal municipal waste? I think, it's, it's Ryan waste, I think. It? I think yeah, um, that's fantastic. Like some really melodic cut guitars going on there. So um yeah, just a mix, a mix of stuff. All good though. Been having fun. Tell me about Black Sabbath. You went to see oh, them last wow. weekend, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Um fantastic, great. So they are a Californian Black Sabbath tribute band. Um and I followed them for a long time, you know, on Facebook and Instagram. And, you know, so I see what they do. And during lockdown, they were putting up a lot of videos of, they would just play these, um, it was kind of like their rehearsal tapes, I guess, but they they would broadcast them out from, it looked like someone's backyard and they'd just be playing in the sunshine, doing these kind of lockdown shows. Anyway, saw the tour coming up, went to see him in Camden at uh, the Assembly, which is just like a little pub, um, like an upstairs stage. And um, they were fantastic. I mean, they, so clearly a passion project um, for the drummer. Uh, it's, it seems that this is really her thing. She's really passionate about it. Has put together this band. Um, they were really great. Nothing cheesy about them. They didn't play an obvious set. You know, they, they things like Never Say Die, they threw in there. They were playing like Wicked World, stuff like that. You know, it wasn't just the greatest hit set. They even played a song like that was like pre black Sabbath. So there was one tune they said like as a special treat because we're in, you know, the, the country that created the band, um, they wanted to do something special. So they learned a tune that Sabbath would have played when they were still earth, um, you know, doing the, the working men's clubs and, um, you know, grinding around in bars and places like that. That's really um, cool. And it's just like this heavy blues tune, you know, so it was an education as well. You know, we, we all learned something. <laughs> when, uh, where did you see them? It was um, in Camden. Is it the Assembly or the Assembly yeah. Room? I know, I'm just looking, so I'm looking at the Twitter at the moment. They also played Chiselhurst. Oh. Yeah, they, they, I, I looked at the tour dates. There was lots of really random places. Yeah. I mean, fair play, but I mean... Chisel Chiselhurst is a little bit footballery so that's that. where Nigel Farage comes from yeah oh wow yeah yeah the last post I saw they did the obligatory shot at the um outside the mill you know oh, um, from the, the debut the front cover yeah. to the album yeah yeah the, the club in Chiselhurst is called the Beaverwood I know the, I know the Beaverwood Don't the case, I bet I you know. know the Beaverwood <laughs> <laughs> um what have I been listening to this week? Yeah, Queen, obviously. We'll come to that in, in a little bit. Um, fair bit of death metal this week. Uh, revolting, Swedish death metal, really good. Vacuous, um, some sort of British sort of black and death. 
Um, if anybody's around, I think they've got an album release show in London tomorrow night somewhere. I think it's a recording studio, a, a rehearsal studio. Can't remember what it's called. Um, somewhere Hackney Way, I think. Uh, worth checking out. Tribal Gaze, again, death metal, really good. Definitely worth a listen if you're into that kind of stompy, gurning, obituary type death metal. Um, the New Autopsy as well. Uh, talking of Canadian music, Canadian black metal band called Spectral Wound. We're just about to go out on a European tour with Hell Ripper. That's really fucking good. Really enjoyed that, even though it's Canadian. Awkwardly Canadian. Um, and, uh, and Thundering Hooves, um, which we'll, we'll talk about in a few minutes because there are part of our new, all new, shiny, all singing, all dancing, new feature on In The Abyss Metal Podcast, Underground Band of the Week. Yeah, we need a we we need a like musical segue for that, some sort of a jingle. Hang on a bit, but yeah, but that would suggest that we have an air of professionalism. And <laughs> one I'm of you could that. just um, one of you could just bang on a triangle. <laughs> okay. um, but yeah, the, the, well, we, we may as well get on with that because uh, the new album's out today. Uh, new album's called Radiance. Uh, it's out today through Mercenary Press, um, which is. Powered by Chris, who was on the podcast last week from Inhuman Nature. That's his label. So he's putting that out in the UK. Uh, and they've all got already got an album out called Vestiges. So if anybody hasn't heard of them, they're British. It's a duo. They're from sort of London, Southeast area. It's, it's, it's black and death metal, but it's got a very kind of epic feel to it. You know, a bit of Celtic Frost in there. Some of the really early creator in there as well, I, I can hear. Yeah, there's a bit section, of, emperor, that kind of shit. It's a um, mix. Yeah, it's 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 a real it's a real mix of lots of different sort of types of extreme metal. And um, if you're into all that kind of thing, they're definitely worth a listen. I'll put some links out on social media over the weekend. Um, they're all over Spotify and, and all that. And obviously, check out their Bandcamp, thunderandhooves.bandcamp.com, and uh, and go and have a listen. And they also need a lot of respect for that name. I think that's fucking awesome. Thunder and Who's, and uh, they replaced the U with a V, you know, suitably metal as as you would. So uh, yeah, great band. Go and listen to them, buy the album, support them, support Mercenary Press as well. And uh, and yeah, if you're into that kind of thing, it's highly unlikely you won't like it. So I have to ask, what what makes a band too Canadian? Nickelback. That's when no, they become no, no, too no, Canadian. I'm being serious. No, because you were talking about that Canadian band. Why is why would a band be too Nickelback are not Canadian, they're an abstraction. They just happen to come from Canada. Well, talk, you know, I was talking about Spectral Wound. I mean, they are essentially a black metal band. And, and if there's one place you would never associate with black metal, it's Canada. Or to Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Why, why would you? I mean, think about it. I mean, firstly, Canada is a big place, right? You I go north, it's, yeah. it's just barren wasteland. I mean, that's quite black metal. I mean, there could be fucking wizards living up there. We don't know. No one's sitting, no one's been up there. You know, you've got polar I've bears. I've heard it's quite common for a wizard to just walk by, but it's... Yeah, yeah. Well, not, not in Canada, it isn't. <laughs> Especially in the Quebec province, because the wizards don't speak French. See, that's part of the problem I have with Canada, that, they, you know, they let a certain part of the country be French. That's, that's an issue for me. They let... It's nothing to do with permission. Who gave them permission? Well, you know, 
A minute, I was what, thought you were going to say your problem say with the Wizards. Why? Why I've got no let, problem with Wizards. Definitely no problem Welsh, with Wizards. Why are we letting the Welsh speak white Welsh? You know, I'm, I'm not going to get into that because we, we're going to end up upsetting some people. And we, we have Welsh listeners. We, well, we have think, a Welsh think, contributor to this probably, podcast. So let's not do that. We, no, we got, we got, we, um, we've got Canadian listeners now, haven't we? Um, yeah. Apologise. Yeah. yeah. And they're nice. They say sorry a lot. So, you know. Well, yeah, but it's just stereotypes. <laughs> just, just stereotypes. I'm sorry. How many Canadians, Canadians do you actually know? Uh, your wife. Yeah, that's it. Does she apologise a lot? No, she's rude. Look, your your wife is a fucking hero. She's taken you off the streets. She's you are now her problem, not ours. So your she wife's took a me hero. nowhere. She took me nowhere. Right? Yeah, she did. My relationship with my wife is very much akin to the relationship that you have between uh, two Sith Lords. Two, there are always a master and an apprentice, and I am the master. She is my apprentice. Fucking nerd. You're getting a bit kinky. <laughs> There's only one master in that relationship, believe me. Yeah, Do as you're and told. it's me. It's Do me. as you're fucking told. No, I think, you know, if, if, you, if you research the dynamic of my marriage you'll find that you know she works for me i call the shots now if you listen to this you're more than welcome to come on this on this podcast and put him right doesn't the master sith end up getting killed yeah exactly i, I will be killed one day but not right now you'll be killed and formed in maple syrup yes i will yeah i'll be encased in it like han solo in Jabba's palace <laughs> Be a big brick of me with Star Wars talk. I'm, I'm not interested. It's bollocks. <laughs> I, I, I might be in a minority there, but look, I'm just stuck. I'm just trying to put off having to talk about Queen because I really don't want to. I know else at the episode. Can we just talk about something else? Well, we've got plenty to talk about before we get to Queen. So keep drinking, and by that point, you'll be well, in can the we, movie, when so. we get to Queen, can we just like literally just drop like you know, make it one sweeping statement each and be done with it? You know, you're making our sweeping statements for all of us. So, at the moment, I'm just still, I'm just trying to work out whether being encased in maple syrup is heaven or hell. You know, it's like <laughs> the best thing you've ever experienced or the worst. I'd imagine it'd be quite heavy. Yeah, you need a, you need a long sleep afterwards. Mind you, I suppose it's a long sleep in itself, isn't it? So, exactly. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to carry the coffin. Well, so. one one thing that what the one thing that surprised me the first time I I went to Canada was. Um, people put it in uh, maple syrup in coffee instead of sugar. So they obviously they got tins of it and they just pierce a hole, tip it in like that. Uh, and that was uh, I thought that was quite surprising. It's quite good. Is that just because there's such an abundance of it? They have to find yeah, ways well, to use know, it. If you if you buy it in the UK or anywhere else, it costs you an arm and a leg. But, but like the really good stuff over there, that doesn't come in like bottles. It comes in like you know, like, like it looks like a tin of beans, and there's no you've got to open it like as such. And then it's just like really, it's not, it's not, it's not as thick as some of the stuff you get over here. It's got a really good smoky flavour to it. And is there like a, um, is it like a, a a black market for maple syrup in Canada that you can only buy in certain bars from certain people and things like that? I don't know, I don't know, mate. But I know that you, if you want cheap cigarettes, you can go on any of the reservations and buy it there. Well, there you go. That's uh, your advertisement for the Canadian tourist board. If you want cheap fags, go to Canada. Um. Back to my original point, go listen to Thunder in Hooves before we carry on, because they're well worth a fucking listen. Um, and if 
you cunts haven't listened to it yet, go and listen to it. Um, shall we have a, a look at what's happened in metal this week? Because there's massive, massive news, like huge news. Puddle of Mud have got new music coming out. Anybody interested? No. Next. No, move on. Um, John Schaefer's still on the run. Puddle of crud. We're done with them. John Schaefer's still on the run. Anybody seen him yet? I, I think... I think we need to make this a regular feature as well. Where's John probably now? Where, where's John <laughs> Schaefer this week? He's probably have, moved. Have he's moved, moved yeah, seriously. With the wizards. He's moved in with the Wizards at the top of Canada. <laughs> yeah, he probably has. He, he's up there with a load of, like, you know, Minutemen in the you know, militia. And Ted Nugent. Yeah, Ted Nugent's up there. We, we need our maple syrup out of cans. <laughs> yeah, and then they're, like, eating, like, smoked moose meat. And, uh, oh, I could go for that. That sounds good. Mm. We need we need our North American listeners to keep an eye can keep, keep an eye out for him. He, he needs to be found because he, you know he's if he's not careful he's going to end up on the FBI's most wanted list. He's a dangerous man. What I'd like them to do is go up, he go should, up he, there in the wilderness and do us all a favour and take Fear Factory with them. Oh, for God's sake! Just stay up there. Look, they should have arrested John Schaefer after a bloody glorious burden. So. Well, I've, there is there is a risk of him turning up in bars and doing acoustic versions of "Where Eagles Dirty, Where Eagles Cry." So, it's um, yeah, it, it's it's a big problem, um, America. I know we've got a few listeners over there. Someone needs to find him for your own safety. We we just don't want any of that to happen. No one needs to hear that. So you know, we put well, the message like, out like, there. We'll we'll we'll, we'll like, update you all next week. It's it's like Thomas Jefferson said: the the uh, tree of liberty must be must be refreshed with the blood of. Uh, tyrants every now and again so you know let's you know let's kill Schaefer basically we'll, we'll come back with an update next week there's enough guns there come on yeah there's plenty of guns um, on a more positive note I read this week that Ramstein have banned Viagogo from reselling any of their tickets um, which I think Maiden have done something like this before as well um, but this is this is a point worth talking about because um, I've, I've sold you know a couple of tickets on Viagogo over the years and I can't make gigs and whatnot but I've only ever sold them at face value um, but some of the price on there so for instance I was looking this week um, with Anthrax tomorrow night I had a quick look on there see if there's any tickets knocking about for a fair price um, and there was one on there I saw that somebody wanted 334 quid for a standard ticket for Anthrax now I know it's peer-to-peer selling so it's, it's up to people whether they pay it or not but if 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 bands were to get together and and stop this happening, then surely it can only be a good thing for those of us who actually want to go to these shows. It's a great thing. I mean, you've got to have some lack of morals to be selling your tickets on for three hundred quid to someone that's going to go and appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, and without wanting to sound corny, if you if you take into consideration that the metal community, as it were, well, exactly, you know, exactly, that's what why, I mean. Why would you flog an Anthrax ticket to someone for three hundred odd quid? You know, it's bang out of order. Yeah, it's interesting. You mentioned the um, the Iron Maiden um, a few years back. They were doing something where you your ticket was the credit card that you used to pay for the ticket for the. So you you pay for the ticket, but instead of getting a ticket, you just had to show your credit card when you yeah. when you arrived at the venue. So um, it was when they were touring the Seventh Son, like when they did a, it was about ten years ago. They did like a Seventh Son themed tour. And I went along to the O2 and it took so long to process everyone's 
ticket to getting through the gates, though. The band had started, so they were just ushering anyone through. So if you turned up at the right time, you just would have got ushered through straight into the venue, whether you had a ticket or not. It was crazy. It's but it just went a, to show the infrastructure wasn't quite there for that at yeah. that time. There needs to be this, in, in the words of Harry Hill, there's got to be a system. <laughs> no, it's, um, Surely it's, now you would do what? You could just have like an e-ticket on your phone or something, yeah? Well, that's what most tickets are now. You know, the days of the physical ticket. But like, that's you, you also, but for me, that's like, one of the things that I noticed when I was back home um, was just, you know, when you go and pay with cash now, some people are genuinely surprised. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I prefer paying with cash because then I'm not just putting everything on my card. Um, and it's like, you know, do we have to get, like, are we going to be forced to get iPhones, smartphones? Like, you know, I, I actually don't like having a smartphone because they're too expensive. And if I lose it, I've got to pay out the which best part. Well, yeah, which I will. Um, I'd rather <laughs> just have, like, the phone I had a few years ago, little Nokia, battery lasted for six days. £10 worth of credit lasted a month, you know? You, you, you can't want... knock that. You can't knock that battery life. But, no. You know the good old the good old days of charging your phone up once and getting most of the way through the week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it's like you're lucky to get a few hours, and before you're having to find a. You're right. You know, looking back on those days, it's it's sort of it's a bit sad that we're looking back on Nokia mobile phones as the good old days. But <laughs> but you know, your point is right. But we, you know, I I've, I carry two phones around me all the time. I got I got my work right. iPhone and I've got my own Android phone, and it's just. Everything revolves around phones. Yeah. You know, even listening to music, you know, it's all through my fucking phone. So it is what it is, isn't it? It's, it's the world we live in now. But, um, but yeah, fair play to Ramstein, I think, for doing that. And I think more bands need to do the same. Um, there are plenty of um, face value only peer-to-peer selling sites now that you can use. So... Why fund the likes of Viagogo? If you sell a ticket on Viagogo, they take about 20% of the value anyway. So it's, you know, people are losing out regardless. It's not worth yeah. it. Yeah, there's no, I don't think there's any need to use it. Like you said, if people are just uh, encouraged to use, like I often go to um, Facebook, I'll just go to the Facebook event page, look through the discussion thread, and there's always someone that can't make it on the night or whatever, and they're selling their ticket off or even they're giving it away. You know, a lot of people just say, look, free to the first, you know, first come, first served. Have a good night. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What I'd like to do, you know, you remember Pearl Jam sued Ticketmaster years yeah. ago? Yeah. I want to sue them again. Me, personally. <laughs> and then, they're, well, why? I just don't like them. You know, and who else That's can I sue? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, like, what are, you, are you seeking a settlement? No, I just, just want them to shut down. Cease and desist. Yeah. I'm, I'm completely confused as to how it works out these days. Um, uh, Depeche Mode announced a big tour uh, next year, so I managed to get a ticket for that um, through Priority a couple of days ago. Um, so that was fine. But I think, you know, as the next stages have come in since then, I've seen people on social media talk about like the Golden Circle tickets, like the, the super sort of close access, yeah. sort of rising in price every so often as people buy them i'm trying to think hang on what how is that happening surely there's one price for each kind of tier and that's fixed or is it all changed now I, I, that, I that shit's up. got to stop as well golden yeah. circle tickets that's that's bang out of order paying more just to get down the front 
That's oh, wrong. Man, the, go- the golden ticket, oh, I, that pisses me off. I went to, a few years back, I went to see Sabbath. I think it was their, their final tour. And it was Black Sabbath, right? So I, I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to take the option to buy a Golden Circle ticket. Not because I think it's reasonable. You know, I did it through gritted teeth. But end up at the front. But you're standing there with, you know, a bunch of solicitors and, I don't know, people, affluent people that have got the money to pay that yeah. that, that ticket price aren't the type of people that are going to go nuts at a gig. It was like being at the theatre. You know, you're standing there and everyone's got a good, good distance between each other and standing there politely with their, you know, their dry white wine, watching Black Sabbath like they're watching, I don't know, um, you know, they're at the theatre watching a play or something like that. So it just, it takes the atmosphere out of the gig as yeah. well. It's like, give that space to the fans, give that space to the people that are going to go up there and just go nuts. Like, it must be shit for the band as well, you know? You, you've got the first 30 rows are just people gawping at you. Yeah. it's It's got to stop. Port Sandwich Brigade. Yeah, that's basically what it is. I know um, Maiden do with their fan club do a first to the barrier thing, don't they? That you can you can buy tickets through Maiden that you um, you get into the venue before anybody else does. They don't have a golden circle as such, but you can buy a ticket that gets you in first. I'm not sure if it's more expensive or if it's just a fan club thing. I don't know, but. It's, it's the same principle. And you're right, if, they, if they're going to put a value on it, then, yeah, the wrong type of people. You've got, you got to think as well, you know, with the, with like, because I, I didn't even, even know Golden Circle tickets existed. Um, but is it is that the band? Is it the band's management? Or is it the ticket companies who are saying, look, you have to offer a Golden Circle ticket, otherwise we won't promote your concert? Because... Obviously, they're going to take a percentage of all the ticket sales, yes? So I'd the imagine there's t- an element of that, yeah. Yeah, so it's like, I don't think it's, I mean, because, like, for example, how much money does Black Sabbath, do they need? Well, might be a bit short got, these days. Yeah, when you've got 100 million or something, is an extra 4 million going to make much difference? You know, it's like, is an extra, t- I just, it's just greed, it's, and it's so... Yeah. It's so right. ostentatious, the greed is that this, yeah. this is completely unnecessary. Uh, because, like, you know, it's not only um, the, the ticket for the fans, it's you know, let's say you've got to get there, and that's well, that what 50 quid for the train ticket or something, then you've got to eat that's so that's 20 quid, 25 quid, whatever. You want a beer, that's probably another seven quid, yeah. And you just like that, just takes the enjoyment out of it because people are going there and. They've got, they're being constrained by, I can only afford two beers and I can't really afford to get that food. So I'm going to have to buy that, take my Greg sausage roll in with me. And then when you try and get it in, oh no, you can't bring food in. And you're just like, what, what, does it fucking matter? You know? I tell you what, what, what could potentially have driven a lot of this though. I mean, certainly from the financial point of view is, is, is music streaming. You know, bands aren't making money from selling their music anymore, so they've got to make it through touring and selling merchandise. Because your average ticket now, if you were go, so you know, we'll talk about in a sec. Maiden have announced arena shows for next year. Shirts of that are those tours. Those shows are going to be 30, 35 quid, aren't they? So I think, I think you know, I think you're right with the streaming stuff, and I think that things like Apple. Or iTunes, for example, 
Because I think that must have been one of the first streaming services. Yeah, pretty much. Um, they, I mean, they would have been one of the few games in town back then. So a lot of bands were like, you know what, we don't have the means to set up our own streaming service. And probably a lot of bands, also a lot of labels, weren't really kind of foresighted enough to envisage how big that could potentially get. So like now you've got, Paramount have got their own streaming service. HBO have got their own streaming service. Well, back 10 years ago, it was just Netflix and Hulu, I think. Yeah. And because of this, Netflix has got bugger all now. Um, and their original content is kind of bland. Uh, but, you know, maybe if, it's a shame that like 10, 15 years ago, some of these record labels didn't get in on the ground floor and then come up with a service that was firstly going to support bands financially because... I mean, Spotify pay fuck all, don't they? Um, yeah, yeah. Unless you have like, what, a billion listens or something. Yeah. And it's like a lot of the other bands weren't in a position to dictate um, because they, may, they might not own the rights to their own music. So, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. mm. the, the merch thing's an interesting one, actually, because we could be going quite down quite a, an interesting route. There's, um, there's a band I like, an indie band called The Big Moon. Um, they played Kentish Town Forum recently um, and they didn't sell their merch in the venue they actually sold it in the pub next door at the Abbey Tavern oh, so the venue um, didn't take a cut basically yeah because the yeah, uh, yeah because the, the O2 venues take 25% plus that fuck so mm. they just said no we're selling our merch ourselves separately so come and buy it before the gig it's crazy and interestingly we were having exactly that conversation last night um, with the Grudge and Orange Goblin have done the same thing, where they've they've sold their merch from the pub next door. Um, and there's another thing about merch which I heard recently, which is interesting too, and I think it applies more to those big gigs. Like if you're a support band supporting a, a bigger band, you're not allowed to sell your merch cheaper than the headlining band. Oof. So they specify that you know if they, Iron Maiden for example, I'm not saying they would necessarily do it. I don't know, but like you know, a big band of that size are selling their T-shirts for 35 quid and you're a support band and, you you know, you don't want to charge your fans that. You want to charge 15. We, the venue or the band or the management, whoever it is, says, no, you can't. You can't be seen to be undercutting the headlining band. You've got to charge the same as they do. It's almost understandable that a support act would charge less for their T-shirts than a headliner. So right. what fucking difference did it make? If you, if you love the band, no matter whether it's a headliner or a support act, it shouldn't make a difference. You know, Mer Merch of Bloodstock wasn't the cheapest, was it? No, I mean, it was, like you said, it was like, what, 30, 30 to 35 quid a T-shirt. Yeah. I'd yeah. say 70 quid if you wanted to buy a hoodie. Mm -hmm. Fucking hell. Yeah, mate. That's what we said. And when we, then we went to the bar. Yeah, and 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 paid a reasonable five pound a pint. So, you know. There you go. Yeah. Although, to be honest, you probably could have made more money off a of water that weekend. Um, but, but, yeah, it's... Um, it's, it's, it's something definitely worth thinking about because everyone's getting ripped off left, right and centre at the minute and, and you know, gig tickets are, you know, they're, they're a luxury that people will stop buying if, if, if money is tight. So if you're going to get, continue to get ripped off by the likes of buy a go-go, then it'll just make it even worse. So, Well, that, that's the thing, isn't it? It's like, it's, you're not paying a couple of quid more than you'd like to. You're getting ripped off. Yeah. And you know yeah. you're getting fleeced. Yeah, and there's only so much people are going to put up with before, when they when they're like I can't like, I can't afford this anymore. 
and I'm not willing to um, the, go go to those bands. And that's um, the worst I mean, part about it, isn't it? Because it'll it'll stop people going out to see bands, or you might just only be able to go and see one band, you know, and that's it for however long until you can, you know, you've got enough in the kitty to go and see another band. But it just becomes something that's an occasional thing, rather than, you know, for a lot of people, it's just. Uh, you know, it's a, an activity that get involved in loads, but if you can't afford to go and participate, it's just sad. I look at all the, um, I've, I've got um, a load of gig tickets framed on my, on my um, hallway wall. And I, I, you know, I mean, I think we've talked about this before and I look at the prices of seeing some of these bands and, you know, paying less than 20 quid to see Slayer, less than 20 quid to see Maiden, paying like eight pounds to see Mastodon at the Underworld 20 years ago. Um, and it's, you know, back then it wasn't unusual for us to go to three or four gigs in a week because it just yeah. it just it was affordable. Oh, God, yeah. you know? how, did we, how did we survive? Fuck knows. Fuck ridiculous. knows. I can, but... I can remember seriously. I think I think it was one week in May two thousand one. I think I saw Tool, Incubus, and Ramstein in the same week. Yeah, and you would have paid less in total for those three tickets than you will do for one Maiden ticket next year. Yeah. Interestingly, I went to see um, all them witches earlier in the week, and um, I was just checking um, checking the, the the gig page, and I noticed that the tickets were only fourteen quid, um, which I thought was reasonable. In this, like all the other gigs that were advertised, you you know, before and after were up there twenty five quid, thirty quid a ticket, uh, and they were charging fourteen, which I thought was pretty good in in the current climate. Yeah, you know, for a gig in 2022, 14 quid's not a bad price to pay. No, it's not. You, you pay you that. You guarantee sales. People will go on principle at that yeah. price. Yeah, and it was packed. It was absolutely rammed, you know, and this was uh, Monday night. You know, it was a Monday night and the venue was rammed. If they charge 25 quid, that might not have been the case. So it's possible. It's, it's kind of law of average, isn't it? But, but it's definitely something worth thinking about. We're not, you know, we're not changing the world on this podcast. Not yet, anyway. But... At least it's something that at least needs to be said. So hopefully more bands will do the same thing. And, you know, a band like Ramstein, Ramstein are proper value for money as well. You know, people will happily pay 100, 120 quid to see Ramstein because you're getting a fucking show and a half. But when that, that 120 quid then becomes 200 quid, 250 quid, 300 quid. So then it just becomes unreasonable. So... So yeah. Um, anyway, moving on. Um, has anybody listened to? Death Actually, Leopard? sorry. I'll just give you an sorry. Just just to round off this conversation. Um, so I went to a con- I went I went to a concert on Sunday. Uh, it wasn't a rock gig at all. It was uh, um, it was called um, La Musica Epericolosa. It's by uh, Nicola Piavoni. He wrote this. He wrote the soundtracks for a lot of the Benini and the um, uh, Federico Fellini films. Do you know the film Life is Beautiful? Mm. Where the soundtrack for that, yeah. So he was like doing um a, a recital of a lot of his pieces, and there was a bit of talk in between, completely free. Just turned up, walked in, um, because it's funded by the um arts council. Mm. Um that's what we need in the UK. And I I mean, I would love love to be able to see that happen in the UK for things that aren't just considered maybe high culture. Um, because I know like you get the proms, great, fantastic. Um, I like I love classical music, but there, there needs to be stuff for other forms of music, you know, and it, it needs to be supported. And you know, if the, the, the health and vibrancy of a society 
can be measured by its artistic output. And yeah. at the minute, it's just in the fucking doldrums. And if you if no one can make money out of it, then it's going to die across the board. And it's not that people are looking to be, they want to make 50 million a year from playing in a band and be, be massive, you know, rock stars anymore. People just want to play the music they want at the weekend, get a bit of cash in hand for it and make, make a little bit of extra change and have people come and see them. I think that's probably the feeling with a lot of musicians. And the, the, the general public, the general public want to be entertained as well. You know, yeah. you know, how does it feel when you go and see one of your favorite bands, you're coming out afterwards and you've got that high, haven't you? You feel good. You know, so if you could have that kind of feeling on a, on a mass scale and there's, there's government con- contributions to making it happen. Well, the, you know, the thing I, is, I it's like white picket fence thinking, but it's, it's still a principle. If you if if you look at and this is an extreme example, but if you look at the um, the, the the amount the range and choice that was available to people in terms of public entertainment between 1939 and 1945, you'd be amazed. Now there was a very specific reason for that because the, the idea was you're living under threat of invasion. We're in World War Two, so you're you know you're living a, a quite an intense lifestyle. So therefore, people would be um, people lived their social life more intensely. So there'd be like poem, poetry recitals, classical recitals at lunchtime that people could just go and watch. There was a, a whole slew of, of things across the country, all funded by the government, because they're like people are having to put up with horrendous levels of BS. So let's make their social lives as meaningful and worthwhile possible. And it's just, and to some extent, there's an element of that now. People are not happy because of external forces and all the government is doing is cutting taxes for the richest. Where are the lowest, where, where are the lower classes? So I don't know. I don't like that word. Where are a lot of other people able to go to get artistic input, musical input, good parks, exercise, whatever you want to name. There's nothing for them. You know, it's, and it should be ramped up rather than scaled back at times like this. Yeah, but it's not going to happen because it requires yeah. spending money. Because, well, no, we shouldn't be doing things like that. We need to be working constantly, very hard, in order to uh, get, you know, be able to afford our mortgages. We haven't got time for social stuff. No, 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 no. 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 Anyway, that's depressing. Um, so <laughs> let's move on. But I'll tell you what's even more depressing, as I tried to say just now, is Def Leppard and Miley Cyrus. Has anybody seen this? No. no I didn't even hear about it. What, what is this? What yeah, is this God. heresy? Yeah, I saw a, like a screenshot of them both with a mic in hand. I just couldn't bring myself to push play on oh, it. Oh, that band can fuck off now. I'm sorry. Who, Def Leppard? Yeah. Ah, Def Leppard, all right. The last album was really good. It was genuinely, genuinely good. It's the best thing they've done since Adrenalized. Um, and the last time, well, the only time I saw them, they, they, they were, I was impressed. They were really good. But it was the Taylor Hawkins tribute show, I think, wasn't it? This performance. I think it was, um, yeah. Yeah, Def Leppard with, with Miley Cyrus doing vocals. It was fucking horrid. Just awful. What, what were they singing? Oh, I can't remember what they actually performed. I, I'd imagine... I'm, I'm going to assume it was, a, it was a Def Leppard tune. It, well, it was Def Leppard tune, yeah. I, I think it might have been Pour Some Sugar on Me. I, I can't remember, but... Uh, photograph, they did. Oh, that's disappointing. Mm. So, well, of course, it's disappointing. But, she, you know, look, 
you have a, a a pop singer or whatever steps up and sings with one of your favorite bands and they, and they nail it great vocals all that happy days but it just sounded like someone murdering a cat awful i think this is one of those ones that just goes in the same category as cradle of filth working with ed sheeran isn't it it's just like at yes. some level they know what they're doing and they know there is millions of spotify listeners that are gonna yeah shift their attention even if it's for a week over to over to your band um you know and if you can scoop up some of that listenership it it makes sense from a commercial point of view so i, I get it and that's i guess that's that's not to take anything away from the participation in the taylor hawkins concert which obviously was something else and different yeah, absolutely. motivation absolutely you know but there is an element of that, you know, there is, of course it makes sense to do a duet with Miley Cyrus because that's a whole new listenership that's going to jump on to your band. That's very true. I, I get it from a marketing point of view, but still doesn't take away from the fact it was fucking terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, but look, go, go listen to it because, you know, and you'll understand where I'm coming from because it was, it was just, I mean, look, let's be honest. Joe Elliott isn't exactly on top form vocally these days, but at least it's Joe Elliott. You, you, you know, we'll let that happen. It's fine. But Miley Cyrus, just no, no. And she's an irritating twat as well. So, but go and have a listen. Make your own opinions. Some people might like it, I suppose. But it was for, you know, like, like you said, Bean, it was for the Taylor Hawkins tribute show. So I suppose all bets are off in a way. Um, last but not least, Maiden are actually doing indoor shows in the uk fucking shock horror not a festival it doesn't happen often does it it, it doesn't, doesn't happen days. often no i'm in 100 i'm definitely there i'm yeah. gonna i'm gonna try and um i'm gonna take my kids as well actually they they saw iron maiden years ago when uh they headlined sonosphere i can't remember what year it was but they were too young to remember it um so i'm gonna give it another shot and hopefully they'll come with me but it's it's that sort of a thing that I think they're just going to love it. What a show, yeah. you know what I mean? I think that I, I would imagine there'll be two dates in London. There's a Friday night at the minute and then there's no shows for a few days. There'll be a second show. It'll sell out really quickly. Um, all the dates are on their website. I think tickets go on sale at the end of next week. Probably, you're probably looking at somewhere between 60 and 80 quid a ticket, I would imagine. Um, but the, um, the set list is based around... The last album, Senjutsu, and Somewhere in Time. So I think, I think I'm right in saying they need to play Court Somewhere in Time. They need to play Alexander the Great because they've never played it. It, it could be. It, I haven't seen Maiden since 2008. I think it could be a good time to see them. Yeah. You know, I'm looking forward to it. I'm in. I'm there. I'm, I'm excited. All right. Stay on. in a strange land would be great just to hear. Play the whole fucking album. Yeah. Just play it. I'm I'm as excited for Sinjutsu though. I love that album. I really love that album. I really liked it. A lot of people didn't, but I really liked it. First listen, I was a little bit sort of wasn't sure, but two or three listens in, um, gave it the car test as I like to do. I I, I really yeah, <laughs> it's it's a cracking album. I really enjoyed it. I it's, yeah. it's certainly better than the last couple which is a conversation we've had on this podcast before. Right. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of their latter-day stuff. Like I, I think they're a more consistent band now than they were, um, you know, in kind of Bruce's first tenure. Now, I love that stuff. I love it. Um, and I listen to it a lot. But the, the from Brave New World onwards, 
um, I probably listen to that era more than the classic stuff. Well, I mean, I love Brave New World. Dance of Death had a, a couple of iffy moments, but there were, you know, Passiondale is a great song. The title track is a great song. Um, a Matter of Life and Death, I think, is Summer Maiden's best work. Love that. It's, Agreed. It's, um, but Final Frontier and I can't even fuck Book of Souls. I, I, I could not get on with either of those two. I, I love Final Frontier. Yeah, I know you, you I, do, don't you? But yeah. I, I, I couldn't get on with it. Where the World Wind Blows is one of my all-time favourite Iron Maiden songs. Wow. From Final Frontier. I love that tune. Um, a lot of time for it. But interestingly, that album took me a long time to get into because I love Brave New World. Um, I loved everything they did up till then. And I and initially, I thought that was a real drop in quality. Um, but I stuck with it, kept listening to it, and it probably took me a couple of years for the penny to drop, and I, I love it. And as I said, um, that last track on that album is phenomenal. Maybe I need to revisit then. Maybe I just need to go back over those albums because I, I haven't tried to listen to either of them um, for many, many years. So maybe I just need to give it another go with a fresh ear. I, I don't know. I'll, I'll try it. But but, um, but I think those shows next year will be good. It's a long way off, but... Um, I can imagine there'll be nice, you know, big shows, lots of pyro, lots of Bruce tearing around like a lunatic. Even though he's 134 years old, I don't know how how he keeps on doing it. You know, when you look at all the other vocalists that are of a similar age, who just kind of stand there and kind of get through it, and you watch Bruce tearing around a stage night after night, night after night. I don't know how he does it. Actually, it's interesting because that when that. When I was talking about the Golden Circle and seeing Sabbath, I saw Iron Maiden the same week. I mean, what a fucking week that was. But <laughs> but, but the contrast in stage presence, I mean, Sabbath for Sabbath, you know, the tunes carry themselves, they're huge. Yeah. But just, you know, you know what it's like. The four of them just pretty much standing there. And then to go from that to watching Iron Maiden, who aren't, you know, I know they're not as old as Sabbath, but, you know, they're kind of up there. 60s, um, you know. You know, tearing around that state, all of them, just yeah. absolutely tearing it up. Um, it's, uh, yeah, as you said, I don't know how they do it. Oh, no, they certainly look after themselves better than I have. So fair play to them. Um, anyway, should we, uh, should we get on and talk about Queen? Because I know Padre's been really looking forward to this. No, oh, just do we have to? I mean, I, 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 never mind. Just let's get it over with. Look, we do because... <laughs> I've, I've long had this opinion that I, I believe, and it's going to be controversial, people are going to disagree because it's, you know, Housewife's favourite and all that. But I do believe that Queen are very much a singles band. Um, I'm not knocking, not knocking that, um, but I think what we remember Queen for are hit singles. We all know what they have. We don't need to go over that. I don't need to sit here reeling off how many hit singles Queen have had and what the songs are, but um, if you were to if you were to look back on their entire back catalogue and, and as we've all found over the last week or so listening to their albums there's an awful lot of not just weak material but really just what were you thinking kind of material um, and there's some questions I want to ask you know are they just a singles band what would they have been without Freddie Mercury is Brian May actually that good a guitarist or is he just a bit of a one-trick pony with a toilet seat? You know, it's, <laughs> it is all a bit controversial because it's like kicking a kitten slagging off Queen, but 
the, I'll, I'll leave it over to you three to um to ha- have a have, have your opinion because it's it's my sweeping statement i guess well it's interesting I'll, I'll, t- I'll start with a positive um because it's i hadn't thought about this for years but one of my probably the first queen memory i have is being about 11 or 12 years old and that we had a copy of um i want it all from the miracle album like 12 inch copy of that on record and i used to put it on and give it the full tennis racket treatment and it's funny this being a metal podcast it's like that was probably my first experience of really loud heavy rock you know just putting that because it starts with those big guitar chords Um, and I remember as a kid just absolutely loving that and just jumping you know jumping around my parents living room literally with a tennis racket just you know playing rock stars Um, so that was good you know and um, again you know, knowing we were coming in to have this conversation, um, I was thinking about my, my first gig uh, was Guns N' Roses in 92. And at that show, actually, Brian May came on and they did uh, Tie Your Mother Down and they did We Will Rock You. So I got the full stadium experience of like the kind of the clapping and the, and the hands in the air, which was, you know, which was great. So my early experiences with Queen were really, really good. But then kind of I guess it's just like tumbleweed you know and of course the singles are out there and everyone knows those songs but yeah you know what else is going on well we'll 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 go over their albums as we uh, as we talk about it I mean Anthony you you've gone through pretty much the entire back catalogue in the last week haven't you yeah yeah all of it even Flash which I want to ask you about Flash because there's that song football fight is it or something like that and I thought that's got to be like an unsung synthwave classic in the making there. Well, not in the making. I mean, it's been made. Um, you know what? I think Football Fight is a bit... I'll, I'll come, at, come back to that. I think that's a bit more rock, if I'm honest with you. I think for the most part. I think it's the... Um, it's a bit near the end where all of the, everyone dives. Uh, um, no spoilers. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll come, I'll come back to the track. But there is one that is, yeah, more like a synthwave. Um, I'm... I'm I am overall with Steve here. I think they are a singles band. The question is why? Why are they a singles band? Is it is it because that's just their best material and the rest of it is weak, or is is there something else going on? And I do think there is. So. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I so I'd similar like in a similar way. I went back and I listened to a lot of the albums. Um, and it was two, I sort of made two discoveries, I think. Um, and again, thinking about those singles and all the songs we know, I found this phrase like sort of rattling around in my head. And it's just like, they're so, they're so popular. They're so big. They're almost obnoxiously popular. And what I mean by that is, is they just take the attention away from, you know, anything else the band might have done. Because I was listening to stuff I'd never heard before. And I kind of went back and I listened to, um, the, the first three albums is where I started, just sort of start at the beginning and I'll go through. Um, and I thought there's some great stuff on those first albums, like really, really, really good stuff. And it reminded me in the play, I, I was thinking about King Crimson. I was thinking about sort of early Genesis and on like Queen 2, I thought a lot of it sounded like Led Zeppelin. So I'm, I was like, oh, wow, you know, maybe, maybe um, I haven't given them a fair crack at all and just, because we immediately think of these huge songs, we just ignored all this other stuff, which to me 
it sounded a lot, you know, it was kind of warmer. It was like all the ideas were there that we know Queen for, you know, the kind of layered production and all the harmonies and things like that. But it was just less in your face and it was it was a lot smoother. Um, and I found that a lot more listenable. Um, but then continued, you know, into sort of through um, Night of the Opera and kind of then on into the 80s. And then what started to happen there was there was just this huge gulf between the quality of the songs that we know as singles and, you know, the, the album filler stuff, which at, at times is just absolutely dreadful. Um, I mean, there's one song, Man on the Prowl, um, which was on the Works album, and it sounds... <laughs> Turned to my girlfriend, who incidentally, my girlfriend thought that the track had skipped onto Shaken Stevens. She was like, Is this Shaken Stevens? <laughs> yeah. Thinking over one, actually. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I was like, I, I, I said, Doesn't it sound like, you know, you're on your summer holidays at the caravan park and it's raining? So you go over to the clubhouse and there's some sad entertainer there of a backing track singing karaoke to old rock and roll songs. Like, that's what it sounds like. It's just a, it's a, a horrible song. You know, but also on that album, you've got Radio Gaga there. Um, it's a hard life, Hammer to Fall, you know, and they're up here, but there's just such a such a space, you know. And I, I wonder if it's because there's a situation that probably a lot of bands find themselves in. It's just time. You know, when, when you're early in your career, you've got time to write the songs and tour them and bed them in by playing them live. Then I think you hit a certain amount of success and you know, then you've got this busy lifestyle where you're always on tour or you're always doing press or you're always busy being queen. Um, and maybe it leaves you less time to write decent material. There's definitely a factor. I mean, we've got to consider that pretty much most bands out there, they're, they're never going to make brilliant material all through their careers, are they? Most of their work will be a combination of mostly good or mostly average. Um, so that's, that's probably quite normal. Um, but when you consider the quality of Queen's best work, why is a lot of their album stuff not as good? And I think it just comes down to the nature of how Queen wrote their material and what they essentially were. Um, I think, first, firstly, I don't think you've, in some ways, you've got to consider them not to be a rock band, first and foremost. They're Queen. They are unique to themselves. They do their thing. They found a formula that worked for them and worked well when they were good. Um, they stretched themselves way too thin. That's what sort of was clear to me over their entire career. Once they got into that swing of and moved away from that early rock, 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 rockier stuff, they stretched themselves out to be very thin, trying to do a lot of different things across the board. Mm. Now their best material, the big, you know, the songs are where they got that blend just about right. Big choruses, big, big melodies you know, quirky rock, um, and they got that right. But they didn't do that enough across the albums because what a lot of the albums were was them trying to be this quirky musical theatre band where Freddie sits behind the piano doing Gilbert and Sullivan or they're dicking about with sort of funky, sort of quirky stuff through the 80s or a bit of country or, again, like sort of bit of old-school 50s rock and roll. Um and they're trying to do too much. I mean, it feels like when they were trying to be a straight-up rock band, they were quite weak. I mean, if you, if you listen to something like Sheer Heart Attack, which 
was three albums too late and is actually one of my pet peeves. If you're going to release a title track, release it on the same bloody album. Don't <laughs> hand it in three albums later, claiming the dog's eating it. it does my, that, that's one of my pet peeves I should have come up with a few weeks back. But there you go. Yeah. Sheer Heart Attack. It's weak as a straight up rock track because they're so used to doing all this sort of quirky, eclectic stuff. Um, but the, the straight up rock stuff isn't that great a lot of the time. Here's the thing about Queen. And I don't know if anyone's noticed it, but this is what sort of became fairly obvious to me across that listening of the back catalogue. And I could be wrong here, so do correct me. Queen do not do riffs. Mm, you, no, I can think of one or two, but there's not. You think about their songs. It's predominantly John Deacon on the bass and Freddie on the piano. That's, that's the core of it. And yeah, okay, it could be a decent line on piano, decent melody, and a great big chorus, but that's that's the route. That's what propels the the, uh, the music forward. It's usually, in, you know, with Roger Taylor on the drums, they'll be in the uh, they'll be in the recording studio, and every so often Brian May will step out of the kitchen and play some guitar for the chorus or do a guitar solo. He doesn't do riffs. It's not like Iron Maiden where they got like several riffs to a song. You know, they've got no paranoid or or the Trooper, or Davidian, or anything like that. It's very rare that they have a song that is a riff. Was it really necessary to bring up Fear Fa- um, <laughs> Fucking Machine Head? Yes. I knew that was coming in. I think it was. I think it was. No, I'm, I'm I think sorry. That's that is what surprised me about those earlier albums. I, was, I think they were more riff-orientated than what they became known for. Yeah. Um, certainly, and that, and that was a bit of a revelation to, to me. I, I just found myself thinking, "Oh wow, actually, there's some pretty good like rock music." Like, quite. I mean, it sort of veers in prog, veers into prog. Well, I mean, I suppose their whole career they did, but in, in terms of the big prog rock bands at the time, their early albums reminded me of that stuff. But yeah, all of that seemed to get pushed out later in their um, later in their output. You know, with a few exceptions, but yeah, you know, like we talked about "Tie Your Mother Down," for example. I mean, that's a song I think of as having a, a, a really great riff to it. Um, Stone, well, Stone, Cold Stone, Crazy, Cold Stone Cold Crazy, you know? Stone Cold Crazy is a riff, isn't it? That's that's yeah. a, a Stone, you know. Stone Cold Crazy is a good song. Yeah, um, I mean, if I'm going to put my two cents into this, um, if you must, I don't, I don't, I don't hate Queen. Um, I don't love them either. Uh, I think. They've got some individual works of uh, absolute brilliance. I mean, I'm sorry, Bohemian Rhapsody, it's, it's very cliched to say this. It's a very, very good song. Um, you've, you've got to have a singular kind of musical mind to be able to kind of envisage that kind of song and write it. Um, the reason why it's so pervasive is because it's good. There's a reason why Pete, everybody knows the lyrics, and I don't think it's because... It's been overexposed. Um, some of their other songs, like I, I think another one, Bites of Dust, has got a great bass line. Um, but then, I, for example, We Will Rock You, I'm, it doesn't do anything for me. And the, a, a lot of the other, a lot of their other songs, like you can look at like albums like Body Art, and you're just like, what were you thinking when you wrote that? It's just nonsense. Um, so I, I agree about the riffs. And I think as well that I think you've got to factor in how 
important Live Aid was into reinvigorating them. They were pretty much done by Live Aid. If they hadn't yeah. performed at Live Aid, they mm. wouldn't have had the resurgence. And I don't think we'd be talking about them in the same breath. They'd still be good, but they wouldn't be on the, the same scale. And obviously, Freddie Mercury passing away because of HIV did it, did it, um, was, was, was sad because you don't want, you know, you don't wish that on anyone. But I think the, the whole, um, the, all the publicity surrounding the, the tribute gig, which, which was a great because you've got so many different bands come together, um, probably helped keep the, um, the, the band at the forefront. But I, I think as well, some of the stuff on like Quora and Reddit and the stuff I've been able to find on the internet has been like a lot of the comments are if you if you know music, if you write music, if you're in a band and you 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 would never say Queen were overrated. This is like a repetitive comment on a lot of forums and a lot of sites I've seen. And I think if you look at some of the bands that have collaborated with Queen, would David Bowie really collaborate with a band that were complete shit or completely overrated? No, absolutely not. Have you ever heard have you ever heard the a cappella track of under pressure with Bowie and, and Freddie Mercury with no music behind it. It's fantastic. I think um, what's interesting is that is the the because I don't think anybody's really saying that their Queen aren't a band that are capable of absolute brilliance. You know, there's exactly some right. genius moments in the in the Queen catalogue. But what's interesting is that that's it's like quality control, isn't it? It's like for every extremely excellent song, there are you know five or six naff ones you know and it's and it's that balance that's 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 an interesting thing and i think that's why we're talking about it it's because you know i did an interesting thing with um uh so my girlfriend we were talking about this before the podcast and and she's very much a queen fan like in inverted commas and it's like no they're a fantastic band they're a brilliant band i said yeah you know they've done brilliant things but let's have a look at their their catalog and one by one i went through the track list of every album and I said, okay, you know, how does this song go? Yeah, I know that one. Uh, and then I'd read, I can't remember the song title, so forgive me. But then I'd read the next song title and it'd be, nope, don't know it. Next one, nope, don't know it. Next one, don't know it. And on average, there were two songs on every album that she'd heard. So, you know, that's, that's an opinion based on what at best 18 to 20% of their output um, had, you, you know, she, she was a fan based on that. And there's well. so much stuff that's just meant nothing. We don't hear. If you look at um, the list of Queen songs, which have been used in TV adverts, it's quite extensive. So that's another reason why they're so well-known, I think. And also why people like myself and Jurgenza probably feel that they've been overexposed and shoved down our throat because they're, difficult, they're a difficult band to get away from because they are, you know, pervasive. So, for example, I mean, some of the songs that they've used uh, that have been used by them in uh, by adverts with Queen. So, for example, one of the biggest one is uh, I Want It All, which is being used by Twix UK, Dr. Pepper, Allianz Home Insurance in Ireland, <laughs> Vodafone Denmark, the Champions League in Spain. Uh, this is my favourite one. Tie your mother down. Perfetti Vigoso chewing gum in Italy, which 
<laughs> Tie your mother down in Italy. That has connotations that go far beyond chewing gum. Uh, uh, I want to break free. Coke, USA, 2000. Esso, 1999. <laughs> um, what is it? Ja- I'm in love with my car, Jaguar, USA. Uh, one one vision, Renault began France 2005, and it just the list just goes on. Crazy little thing called love, the gap, McCain's super fries. <laughs> I've, been, I've been eating them ever since. I've been eating them yeah. ever since. There, uh, there, there's a great video on YouTube. Someone's did a, done a sort of uh, Game of Thrones intro. If it was made, if it had been made in the nineties, and they've used I want it all as the theme. It just works perfectly. Right, which company do you think used we are the champions only one company ever used it that's probably something like Pritstick stick or something yeah is it going to be sanitary products oh, that's actually quite close <laughs> viagra <laughs> <laughs> oh that's amazing i mean it's inspired you, you i'll take my hat off to them you know um yeah that, that uh, you, it's good, but it's an interesting point because um, one of the thoughts I had was how mu- how often Queen are used. Um, uh, you know, would it be true to say that their popularity um, is as is as far reaching as it is because often they're piggybacking on the back of something else? You know, yeah. if you think yeah, about yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wayne's World and Bohemian Rhapsody, think about um, Don't Stop Me Now and Shaun of the Dead. Um, like that's, even Live Aid. That's was, my that's my first Queen memory was Wayne's World. Right. Yeah. Um, the Highlander, you know, their placement in film soundtracks. Flash. Um, there's, there's a great one from A Knight's Tale. Right. Oh, yes. Yeah. I've forgotten that. Which, you know, also, it, but it was the, the Highlander yeah. theme tune, the Highlander theme tune is utter wank. It's, <laughs> it's shocking. It's got no relation to the fucking film. Well, it's Who Wants to Live Forever, isn't it? Is it? Yeah. Yeah, that's on it. Well, no, yeah, half of that doesn't... album. Half they did the whole soundtrack, the soundtrack, didn't they? Yeah, it's the whole soundtrack. Yeah. No, no, right. it's, yeah, no. It's it's, one, it's a normal just... album, but half of it was a soundtrack. It's weird. It's it, I don't know what they were doing there. You know, you Even just you in... just want you just want to go up to like Freddie Mercury after watching The Highlander and to go. I prepared him for you, Kurgan. There can be only one. The thing is, though, you, you talk about Wayne's World, and that that was almost. Um, a happening of chance because the producer of that movie wanted that scene to be Guns N' Roses, not Queen. Absolutely. Really? Yeah. 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 I think it was Mike Myers that pushed it over, wanted that it had to be Bohemian Rhapsody. And obviously we look back on that now as, as a, as a, as a legendary movie but moment. Song in it it I don't know what song it was going to be. All I know is because it was 1991, 1992, you know, Guns N' Roses, usually losing one it. So. But the whole point of that scene is that it builds to something. Yeah. But, they probably would have just filmed it differently or it would have been structured slightly different if it was yeah. a Guns N' Roses song. I think it was, so, a, it was a masterstroke on the, the part of Mike Myers because I think he he saw that for the, you know, the brilliant moment that it was and, and ultimately that's how it got shot. But yeah, absolutely. The producers, everyone else involved in that film didn't want that used, that yeah. track, which tells you what their opinion of Queen was at that time. I think they were considered past it, over the hill, you know, that's... You know, that's a band from a bygone era. Why on earth would we put them in this, you know, this kind well, of new film? To be fair, no, that was good timing, really, because obviously in the wake of uh, Freddie's death and the, the concerts, 92, that was almost helping the resurgence. So, yeah, I, I think yeah. that probably would have been received 
better than they might have feared. But there's, there's also, I did actually watch Bohemian Rhapsody this week, finally, just as extra research. And I have a, I have a few issues with that film, but I won't, I won't. Oh, it's pants. I won't, I won't go Mark Commode on you at this point. But no, the, the thing, the thing about Bohemian good... Rhapsody is, and I, I watched Bohemian Rhapsody on my own in a cinema in Rochdale when I was working away. And um, I, I really enjoyed it. And I know there's there's a lot of factual inaccuracies to it, but that a part of that yeah. part of that is is dramatization. That, yeah, that happens know, in any kind of factual film. But I really enjoyed it. You know, I, I think it's kind of switch my brain off and just enjoy it for the for the songs and all the, the events we remember live eight and all that kind of stuff. I thought Rami Malek's performance of Freddie Mercury was 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 entertaining. I thought it was really good. Apparently it was originally going to be Sasha Baron Cohen. Mm. Which would have been that, that had been touted for years. That yeah, that which would have been he actually pulled awful, out. I think. Now, interestingly, I think that the reason he pulled out is because I think he wanted to tell a much more honest story about Queen. And I think Sasha Baron Cohen's vision of that film was he wanted to include, you know, warts and all. Yeah. And I think the band didn't approve of that version. And you know, it's uh, the, it's an okay film, but I think it's a very sanitized view. Oh, yeah, career. Yeah. I, yeah. I actually um I met a guy called John uh in uh South Korea when I lived there. I knew him for a while. And uh he was telling me in the in the bar one night, he goes, Oh yeah, I used to do like all the artwork for uh those um like uh two hour, three hour long TV movies. Um is it is it showcase cinema or something? Uh in America. He goes, yeah, I used to do all the artwork for the uh, those like uh, film covers and posters and stuff. And like, you know, one, one time I got asked, you know, can you go and, you know, Queen have seen your work and like Freddie wants to meet you about to doing the art for the uh, Bodywork album. So he's telling me this story about this time that he, uh, he went, they were in LA and he went to see them. He walked in and it's like Brian May, Roger Taylor and the bass player, I can't remember his name, sat on a table, just this is fucking coke everywhere. And um, they're quite, you know, Freddie, Freddie, Freddie's going to chat with you about it. Um, uh, he's just, he's busy at the minute. He's upstairs. And basically he's upstairs with about, you know, he's got a cadre of, uh, of uh, young men up there. And he comes down like all sweaty in a dressing gown. He's like, oh, hello, darling. Yes. <laughs> and then the others are just, and he's like, what the fuck? You know, that's the film uh, I want to watch. That's the film. Yeah, yeah. That's the version yeah, like, of Bohemian Rhapsody I want to see. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just like, I mean, it, uh, unfortunately, in, in, I think if, if you look at um, the, the film Bohemian Rhapsody, I think there might be a, a, a grain of truth to the um, the way that he was quite conflicted about his own sexual preference in, in, when he was younger. So like when he finally became comfortable with coming out of the closet and being openly gay, he went at it full tilt. So he was one of those people, unfortunately, that was probably right in the firing line to contract HIV because he was so active with so many different people. I'm not judging that that's fine. Um, but, you know, I mean, have you heard the stories about what he was like when he was, he was based in Munich for a while and he, he had like um, a German boyfriend. He didn't even speak any German. He didn't even know his name, but he just like hung out with him for a couple of months. And then they had, they had a female living with them and they were, it, it was like, they would be having like, you know, multiple, like almost gangbangs as it were. And uh, he, that's where he had his, I think it was that really famous 37th party, birthday party, where he had like the diamond encrusted horse's head and uh, just completely elaborate. But like by then, I think he probably knew there was something going on with him. Like he was he was probably ill. 
So, um, yeah, he's, he's certainly a character. Um, and that's what that's you want from You don't want someone yeah. bland and timid. I mean, he's definitely a, a great front man. Um, well, that, that brings me on to my next point then, because he is probably, I mean, none of us saw Queen live with Freddie Mercury. Obviously, we're old, but we're not that old. Um, so we never got the chance to see that. But you look back on Mercury and, and, and most of us would consider him probably to be one of the, if not the greatest front men of all time. I think we, we'd all be in agreement with that in terms of a performer and, and all the flamboyance that came with it, all of that kind of shit. You take Freddie Mercury away from Queen. So obviously once he passed and they had, you know, years of doing nothing and then they bring in Paul Rogers, which I, I liked, to be perfectly honest with you, I thought that was really good. Uh, and now Adam Lambert, um, you take Freddie Mercury away from Queen, and they're no longer the same band. It, it, it's like it's it's chalk and cheese. You know the stuff they did with Paul Rogers was good because they did free stuff, they did band company stuff as well. It, it kind of it worked really well. Smaller venues, I think for for your your average rock fan, it was something a bit different and enjoyable. Whereas now with Adam Lambert, they're trying to go back to that that whole way of having this uber flamboyant front man and it's all big and it's all pompous and, and all of that. And that I've got a problem with that. I think it, I, I, I don't think it, 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 it's got full respect to Freddie Mercury's legacy, if you know what I mean, because they're trying to rehash what Freddie Mercury did. So I suppose what I'm trying to say is you take Freddie Mercury away from Queen and they're just, they're just not that, there's not much left. Yeah, I think, Sorry, I mean, I'll make a quick point. I, th I think a, people, a lot of people that probably went to see Queen live are the kind of people that probably didn't go to a lot of gigs. So to them, it's going to be like, oh my God, this is so amazing. He's such a good live man, uh, front man. Whereas maybe there are other people that have been, who go to gigs a lot and be like, it's great. But it's not at the level that it's been made out to. That's just conjecture on my part. That's possible, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting conversation I was having earlier in the week. I said, yeah, he's a, he is was, I should say, a great front man. But was he really doing anything different than Robert Plant might have been doing or David Bowie might have been doing? You know, he's he's being David a front man. Um, and the, the other thing I said is, is it's it's not that hard to come across as charismatic when you're, when you're in a band with John Deacon. You know, <laughs> so there is there, there is that there is that element of it as well. But no, I, I mean, I, I joke. I mean, he was a great frontman, absolutely. And I think that that's the point. Is for me, he held a lot of the charisma of that band. You know, charisma is something you can't. It, you know, it, it is, isn't it? It's kind of that X factor that you can't really describe or or yeah. bottle or you know. And it comes, and that's why the Queens are the Queens and the Led Zeppelins are the Led Zeppelins and whoever these mega bands are Metallicas are Metallicas. Cause there's a, a charisma that people pick up on whatever it is, you know, they could be playing. Yeah. There are other bands that can play as well and can play as fast and have got great songs and they know how to compose, but what takes you from being a great band to a really great legendary band, I think is often charisma. Um, that's, that's what's missing from Queen now. And I think that a large part of Queen at their at their um, peak was down to the charisma of Freddie Mercury, certainly. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Um, yeah, I, I mean, we don't know, do we, really? Um, I mean, they all, certainly Roger and Brian were 
solid enough musicians and they could have gone in a fairly solid rock direction. I mean, how long they would have lasted considering punk was five years down the line. We don't know. I mean, they, mm. you know, they were. I remember. It's, yeah. One time someone, t- I was having a conversation with someone and someone, they told me in all seriousness that Roger Taylor was the best drummer ever in the history of music. Yeah, a lot and of Queen I, fan, a lot of Queen fans say that kind of thing, and they say the same thing about Brian May as a guitar player. And I, I just find it hysterical. Like, I mean, I, I, and I think this was two thousand and four, two thousand and five. So I was just like, "Are you fucking shitting me?" I was like, "Have you heard Brad Rayler play drums on March of the Fire Ants? That's fucking good drumming." <laughs> oh, but but. But on 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 a uh, 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 sheer heart attack. Yeah. Uh, 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 what is it? What the fucking one they did with um, the fast one with Hetfield? They played it with. Oh, Stone Cold Crazy. Yeah. Oh, but Stone Cold Crazy. He plays really fast. Fuck off and listen to Angel of Death. You cunt. <laughs> There's a quote for you. Fuck off and listen to Angel of Death. Yeah, I mean, I can. I'm 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 thinking about printing up the T-shirt right now. <laughs> I mean, it's just like... That's going on in the Abyss merch, that is. Um, it, I get it. I'm not saying he's a bad drummer, but get off this fucking trip that Brian May is the is one of the best guitar players ever. Like, was it, was it, I think, you know, do you remember Channel 4 used to do those top 10 programs? Yeah. And, and one of the... Yeah, well, they did the top 10 um, guitar players of all time. I think they only it was only British guitar players. And Brian May was seventh. And I was just like, oh, Why? He's not bad. He's very good, but he's not. If it, you know, he's got like one guitar solo from Bohemian Rhapsody, and the rest of it is very. I'm sorry, very generic. Very like you know, he's not up there with any of the guitar players from Iron Maiden. He's not up there with Tony Iommi. He's not up there with who else could we talk about? British guitar players, Johnny Marr. Although I'm not a fan. Adrian Smith. You know, I'm just like, and it's not, I'm not just talking about technical ability. I'm talking about riffs, like Anthony said. Yeah, if you, um, want, to, if you want to sort of get an idea of how, how average his riffs were, um, I think what became, what I realised listening to uh, the Works album is, is on Hammer to Fall, which I think as a song is a great song. But that opening riff is meh, isn't it? Yeah. Very simple, very mere. And and you know who rips it off? Limbiscuit for break stuff. Oh, there you go. It's the same riff. So, I mean, I, I just back, you know, so the other guitars, you know, Captain, Jimmy Page, um, Gary Moore, all better. All f- well, so far out of his league. Do you remember that- in um, in the Metallica video, a year and a half in the life of, when, uh, when they, they're getting around the Freddie Mercury concert and they're interviewing some of the crowd and there's that guy, who, you know, they say to him, why are you here? And he's like, well, he's, he's, he's Brian May, isn't he? he's the best guitarist in the world. And that, that was, that, that was the attitude. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. And, and then, and then it cuts to them rehearsing Stone Cold Crazy and it's Iomi and Hetfield and like, but what they should have done, it goes, look, Brian, just leave it to the professionals, right? <laughs> go, go, go and sit over there. Right. And we've got some coloring books for you. And just, just keep the pen inside the lines. Okay. And let the, let the boys, let the big boys play. Okay, because they're 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 going to do things like because their hand is going to move really fast, right? You can't do that because you're shit. Yeah, 
So you just go colour in. Take that fucking drummer with you too. Oh, hang on, I mean, hang on. Before, before we go on, because, you know, we have a drummer in the room. So your opinion on Roger Taylor, is he that good? Is he overrated? Is he? Well, my, my take on Roger, I mean, I, I would say he falls in that category of like, he's a Ringo Starr or a Lars Ulrich. Like, he's not flashy drummer, but what he plays works for the song. Um, it's interesting, actually, listening to a lot of the 80s output, to my ears, it's programmed drums and it's drum machines. And there's a lot, which I think happened a lot in the 80s anyway. So I kind of wonder where he was at all, you know, throughout the 80s. Um, loving his car. He was loving his car. I mean, we haven't even got to that song yet. Oh, my we God. Will. I think we that, will. Yeah. Interestingly, just I'll briefly pause on I Love My Car. Um isn't it fascinating that they played that at both Taylor Hawkins concerts? So when Queen did their spot, that was one of the songs both times yep. they chose to to uh, to perform. I think it's purely because they made a fuss of it in the movie. I don't remember. They, I don't recall that song ever being mentioned in the public eye previous to that movie. Uh, maybe it's had a, a second wind based on the Bohemian yeah, Rhapsody film. Yeah, I mean, I I'll, I'll be honest. I like A Night at the Opera. I think it, I think it's some of Queen's best work because I think of Queen as pompous and over the top and a bit out there and a bit mad and the night of the opera epitomizes that. So I've got no issue with it, but I'm in love with my car is one of those songs. Like we were saying on most of their albums, you've got these songs that are all the way up here and then mm. stuff is all the way down here. And yeah. I'm in love with my car is one of those songs. That's all it's the, way it's down the one you, you don't mind having a conversation while that one's on. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like when that song it's, comes on, you can, if they were you playing can... it live, you go and have a piss. Yeah, basically. Maybe that was what they factored into the Taylor Hawkins concerts. It's like, we're going to need to factor in a piss. <laughs> thousands of people, you know, tens of thousands of people. So they it's were like actually obliged no. to play I Love My Car. <laughs> it's uh, like the Klansman. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Which well, is the, clans, the Klansman, you've got more time. Longer song, so, the Klansman, yeah, you've you know. got time to have a shit and go and get a beer as well. So Well, exactly. You get, all bases are covered. But I think, okay, so Roger Taylor is, you know, he he's... He's a good drummer, you know. He's not a shit drummer, but he's not gonna—he's not gonna pull off any flashy moves, you know. He's only—he's—he's he's solid. He's gonna play for the song. He has his own sound. Like he definitely doesn't sound like any other drummer. And when you see him live, his setup is quite unique. Um, you know, like he doesn't—he doesn't have skins on the bottom of his drums, which kind of gives us a whole different sound to it. So it's a very uh, Roger Taylor sound. So that's quite unique. And I'll just say, you know, just for the record as well, I think, you know, Brian May's a good guitarist. I think he's a creative player. I think he, 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 he um, you know, compositionally, I think he's, he's fine. You know, he's solid. I enjoy listening to him. Uh, I enjoy listening to James Hetfield more. But, you know, uh, it's interesting to me that he's done nothing else but Queen, apart from his own solo stuff, I guess. Yeah, that, he, that, solo, that solo is a good I can think of, you know, if you think about, you know, Led Zeppelin broke up and, you know, Robert, um, Jimmy Page went off and he's done other stuff, you know, he's done stuff with David Coverdale and he's done other bands yeah. and other things. Yeah. And Brian May hasn't. And I wonder why that is. Yeah, he really yeah. does seem stuck in this kind on of a, bubble. On, on, a, on, a, on a, like a slightly different, like, in a, you know, like, of course, Brian May, oh, yeah, he, oh, Brian May's got a PhD in astrophysics and, you know, and like, yeah, okay, great. I respect that. The man's educated. It's not easy to get a PhD. But again, it's like you said, what's he done apart from Queen? What's he ever done <laughs> for his PhD? <laughs> Nothing. Right? How many peer-reviewed journals has he published in? Nothing. 
This right. is an interesting point. It, it probably like, it probably requires an astrophysics PhD to untangle his hair from his fucking wife every morning. So, yeah. Oh, <laughs> who's his? Is it who's his wife again? Anita Dobson. Anita Dobson. That's it. Yeah. Angie. Yeah, yeah. Angie. Yeah. yeah, and they could. They literally could be each other's stunt double. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's most peculiar. I think we, we all we all need to see a uh, a reworking of that famous scene from EastEnders with Brian May in her place instead. What are the, the dirty den one? The dirty den scene, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, why can't that could be the next thing for them though? Well, what they could, you know, like you got Hamlet, and it's the play within a play, where they perform in front of the royal family, and uh, and it's the reenactment of the the king's murder, right? So basically, Brian May gets a job at the Queen Vic. And then Roger Taylor and the bass player turn up and they're the pub band. So it's like the band within the play, within the That would scene. be fantastic. Yeah, pub gig at the Queen Vic. And then you can have Danny Dyer just going, oh, fucking chops in it, mate. <laughs> just like with his old football I do, I do love the fact you keep referring to uh, John Deacon as the bass player as well. You can't I don't know his name because he's got no substance. <laughs> like, he's, I mean, he's not in the band anymore, is he? I, I can't. No. I can't decide. I can't decide. What's the easiest job in the world? Bass player in Queen or bass player in U2? Because neither of them can fucking play the instrument. Listen, there's, an e- there's a much easier job than that, and it's the drummer in Snow Patrol. Oh, God. That's boring. I mean, that's easy money. That's, you should that... do. Sorry, just on, on you know, like, it, it, I think it's quite easy to hear to lob grenades at Queen, right? Um, I don't think any of us are like massive fans. Yeah, we can we can say yeah, I like that bit. That bit's cool. And you know, and you know, there's probably going to be if you if you played this entire conversation to a hundred people, there's probably going to be about eighty people again. Who are these four wankers? What do they know about music? Yeah, fair enough. I yeah. don't care. Um, but what we should do one day is pick a band that we really like, and then we spend two hours slagging them off. I can do that. That's fine. I can do that. Because like I actually, what I'd like to do, see you guys do, is do do a flip, a reversal of one of the first episodes we did, which was the Bruce and Iron Maiden fanboy episode. Ooh, that's <laughs> no. Oh, go on, do it. That's that's tough. That's tough. I, no, I, I I could. I've got a few starting points for for to slag off Maiden. Yeah, but you can't you can't mention Blaze Bailey. I was going to say you can't mention Blaze Bailey. That's no, 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 not not Blaze Bailey. No. And you can't, you can't, don't, do not bring Chains of Misery into this. No, no. All right, well, well that's, <laughs> that's, that's one to come back to. I'll, I'll make sure I drink I was going to say, I was waiting to see if that was about to go off on a trajectory or that's... Oh, no, no, I'm, it, I'm nipping it in a bud now because yeah, yeah. That, that could, yeah, that, that could get messy. Um, yeah. uh, I, <clears throat> we, we have Slag Queen off a lot. There's no doubt about that, but... There's no denying that those those singles, those big hits, they are some of they are some of the greats. We, we you, you, there's no way you can deny that. You know, I, I, I think if I'm going to pick one song, I think it would be Under Pressure for me with David Bowie. I think just the fact is with David Bowie, you, you've got two absolute greats coming together. You know, it's it's almost it's almost the perfect storm. Um, and there's there's endless great songs on top of it. And I think that the reason we're making this point is because those those singles are so strong, like being like you said with the albums, they are so good. 
And yet the likes of... So I, I'm just going to pull out a few songs from certain albums here that, that if, if you're not familiar with Queen's non-single work, you need to go and listen to and see where we're coming from. So from The Miracle, My Baby Does Me, Rain Must Fall and Scandal, I'm happy to say those three songs are fucking terrible. Um, well, from The Game, Dragon Attack and Coming Soon, equally bad. From A Kind of Magic, Don't Lose Your Head, Princes of the Universe, um, and as we said five minutes ago on a night at the opera, in love with my car is a joke. What so I can't stand that here, Gaga. I mean, it's well, it's not even a metaphor. It's literally about being in love with his car. It's a joke. It's a joke. And, and just to just to come back to the point I made at the start, um, "Rain Must Fall" was the song that I heard, and I thought I actually can't do this anymore. I've, I'm I'm opting out. No more queens. It's, it's now, awful. It's awful. And I said that. And just to just um, for the record, if you if anyone listening to this does go back and, and uh, checks it out, it is um, it's almost a chord for chord copy of Candy Staten's Young Hearts Run Free. OK, you can sing that melody to it. It's um, yeah, they, they ripped it off. Um, but I said I wasn't going to go back and listen to any more Queen after that. Um, and then Dragenza, you mentioned to me, my baby does me. So I had to go back in out of curiosity and fuck me. Is that not the worst song in the world? I <laughs> mean, Awful, isn't it, it? it is something else. I mean, it is on the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. And that, yeah. And there's a moment um, where Freddie right at the start says, turn it up. Like in the, just like to the producer, whoever they've, they've kept that on the tape. And it's like, like if you were going to pick any song on this album, not to turn up, it's this one. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and it's just an example that for every, as you said, for every genius moment, there's there's something there's like an equal and opposite um, travesty that just sits there. I mean, it's a shame because when you when you write songs as strong as some of the songs they've written to then produce turgid shit like that, it's it's. But then I don't know, maybe you, you couldn't write an album of 10 songs as strong as Under Pressure or. Stone Cold Crazy or Bohemian Rhapsody or whatever. So they, they could have done. I disagree. But they they were they did what a lot of rock, rock bands did, and were releasing albums like every year or every couple of years. Mm. And that's that's the thing because that was normal in those days, and they were sort of behaving like a normal rock band in that in that regard. Weren't they? They weren't. In, they should have. Were taken they in danger? Sorry. Weren't they in danger of getting dropped by their label if if the album from Bohemian Rhapsody was on hadn't popped? Well, I don't know how much truth there is in that in the film, the, the scene with Mike Myers, isn't it? That, you know, that when they wanted to release Bohemian Rhapsody and they didn't want to, the label wanted to release In Love of My Car. I, I don't <clears> think that's entirely true, but there, there's probably there's, there's got to be something in the story somewhere where there's there's an element of truth to it or something similar happened. But I'm not, I'm not entirely sure that scene from the movie is... Yeah, I think it's one entirely of those factual. Based on, based on true events... Um, yeah, I think it's it's true to say that they were discouraged from releasing Bohemian Rhapsody, as um, as you I, would be, because as a single, it just doesn't make sense. No, no, you know? and uh, and to quote my daughter, who heard it for the first, well, not for the first time, but it came on during during the the research. She said, "I hate this song." <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard anybody say that. I got to admit. Well, do you not know really get some my nerves when um. 
like there's a, there's a trend in my industry where people like to play music as a way of teaching the English language to foreign language students. And they always choose Queen songs. And you're just like, do you know what? Fuck off. Because I've got to teach in the classroom next door to you. And I don't want to hear it. I, I, what was it? Like, we will rock you or something for the fifth time that week. And I'm just like, find a different song. You know me. I was going to say, what would be your song? Oh, I, I've got, it depends on what I'm trying to teach. Like, I've, I've, I, I use, um, uh, for example, when I want to talk about, like, uh, why, uh, you know, being used, for example, fucking offspring, self-esteem. Kids love it. Um, I've used um, police, every breath you take. Um, what else? Peace sells, but who's buying? Have you ever used a Queen song? No, I won't. I refuse to. That's your homework um, this week. I, you need, I, I you need was, to get a Queen I, look, song into your you lesson. Know, do you know what I was doing? Do you know what I was playing to my students? Is to, not, not as a way, way of learning. I, what I do is I put music on at the start of the lesson as they're filtering in. And then I'll have it on in the background sometimes while they're working. Do you know what I was playing them today? Power trip. Nice. Executioner's tax. Excellent. Um, uh, the other day I was playing, uh, I, I just put Rain and Blood on. Uh, I just, want like, to qu- I, I just want to quickly slip it in that, uh, that Rain and Blood is 36 years old today. It is. Yeah, happy birthday. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll raise a glass to that. Uh, yeah. And I think, you know, we, we did mention it last week. We did mention it last week. But, um, yeah, last week, 26 years. Cliff. Yeah. 30, Raise a glass to yeah. that. 36 yeah. years. Well, that, that dickhead from Queen and Place Base is still alive. Where's the justice? <laughs> I think he's an accountant or something these days, anyway. It certainly looks like one. Um, uh, back on Queen for a second before we, we go off on the usual sort of tangent that we do at the end of an episode. Uh, we're not we're not destroying Queen's legacy or anything like that, but I just felt it was it needed to be said that a load of great singles. But if you want to go back and listen to the, some of the songs that we've talked about, you know, I'll, I'll I'll put them on this week's playlist. I won't put any of Queen's big hits on the playlist. I will put the shit songs that we are not <laughs> recommending that you need to listen to to understand just how bad Queen could be. We all know how good they could be, but can, more can you stick need to hear how bad they could be? Can you stick on the Invisible Man? I know that's a hit single, but that's dreadful. That is a dreadful song. Sorry, it is a dreadful song. And I mean, like, I'm sorry. Can we just? I, I know it's not Queen technically, but can we just cover Freddie Mercury's duet on that song, Barcelona? That's all right. I, I, I can deal with that. That's that works. I'm not, I'm not knocking it. I actually think it's quite. I mean, like that. That to be fair. Stuff like that, I can always get on board with because he's so out there, and he did a very good job. He did um, do a good job. Okay. It's a respectful move. I, yeah. Yeah, I'll take my hat off to him for that. I think it's um, yeah. and it, it, it is a beautiful horizon, so it's, it's yeah. worth. Do you, do you about. think it was like um like but like I one of the things that I don't I I lose a lot of respect for Brian May for as well is ever since Freddie died, he's he's a he's a bit of a bit of a slut, you know. See, you know? I yeah, I, I'm going to back you up on that because yeah. that's something I've had a problem with 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 the pair of like, them. Like my the... my biggest beef is when that fucking boy band Blue Five. covered. That's what I was rocking. just about to say. And and, yeah. and he was like, "Oh, you, you don't have to sample it. I'll just come and play on it." They with played you. on it. Yeah. What are you? What are you doing? Why are you encouraging them? <laughs> there's there's now there's an interesting point actually. Who because gave we... them permission? Who gave them? <laughs> Permission. 
If we were to talk about Queen's legacy, so coming at it from the point of view of metalheads as we are, like there's not a lot of bands that have obviously taken influence from Queen. I think of The Darkness comes to mind as maybe someone that have yeah. kind of blatantly taken their influence from Queen. But really, their influence is probably largely felt in the pop world. Yeah. yeah. Right? Which yeah. takes us back to that whole idea of singles and, you know, one hit wonders and things like that, or those moments, which is something that you associate with pop music. And I think perhaps yeah. those production ideas, multi-layered production, lots of melodies, that's probably more, more keenly felt in the pop world than it is for us in the rock world. Yeah, I know I, I wanted to bring something up, actually. Um, I mean, first and foremost, I think, if anything, certainly in the 70s, Queen had more in common with Elton John than they did any rock band of that era. Just interesting how, point. They, how they put stuff together but I, th I i do think if you listen to early judas priest forget the first album forget the first album yeah two or then the next two or three albums you listen to judas priest at times uh stuff like let us pray with that harmonic distortion which for me is a brian may guitar that mm. is pure brian may and there was a couple of times where they got the piano out stuff like epitaph yeah. And I think, you know, you've got a flamboyant gay front man there who, who got involved with a, you know, leather boy lifestyle. Wait, what, 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 who's gay? What? I think, I think there was a definite influence there. You know, obviously priests went in their own direction, their own extreme direction, where and they created the, the metal identity, arguably. Um, I mean, but I think well, interestingly, exactly on that point. So I, I, I was listening to Queen 2 um, and I had it on, I was streaming it. And the album came to an end, and the next song that kicked in after that album was Judas Priest. Do you reckon Rob Halford and Freddie Mercury ever hooked up? Freddie Mercury's not worthy of Rob Halford in the gay world. That is. <laughs> <laughs> they probably never met. Yeah, I would imagine they never met. I can't I imagine which, their past ever. Which crossed. is a, which is a key factor, surely. Yeah, very, very, very different sort of careers yeah. at that point wouldn't, but, wouldn't uh, that have been can you imagine how funny that would have been though right if they they had met in like the 70s and they were just really into each other and they got married but they kept on in their bands that's a, that is a sitcom i want to watch yeah definitely yeah i'd be all over that <laughs> what, what would you call it judas queen <laughs> <laughs> the queen and the priest <laughs> the defender of the faith um, I'd, be, I'd be all over. The thing is, though, we had Rami Malik playing um, Freddie Mercury. Who's going to play Rob Halford? <laughs> Rob Halford. Well, yeah, it's true. Well, I think it should be Rami Malik and Rob Halford playing himself. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'd like to see that. That would be fantastic. I was going to say as well. I mean, I, I need to just sorry. I need. I've, there, there are there are issues that I need to address with these two, Bean Dog. Um, oh fuck! Uh, and you can arbitrate this. So speaking of Queen and Pat's jackets, you knew this was going to be brought up. That patch um, is staying on that jacket, even if it's just to piss you take off. take it off. No. Right, you've, you've just spent the last two hours critiquing Queen. You can therefore not put a Queen badge on the back of a patch jacket that's sitting next to either a Venom badge. Yeah, There's no venom, venom on my... There is no Venom on my patch jacket. Sepultura. Which one is Listen, it? I, I think that's testament to the quality of, you know, we, we're we not pretending that Queen didn't have amazing material. Surely it deserves its place. Fuck no, yeah, no, 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 because it, what it does is, okay, this is my philosophy. 
a queen patch on a denim jacket belongs on a denim jacket that's populated by more kind of your kind of early 80s kind of rock you know saxon stuff like that white snake i i think it would be you know you know rainbow as well you it's need what you need to... what you need Trigenza, is a level 42 patch just to just yeah. for balance but, but well, not, i'm not, getting on that now not 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 on a bag not on a patch jacket that's got corrosion of conformity pantera down now seven. corrosion of conformity yeah. covered queen on their last album just <laughs> just putting that out there get pepper keenan on the phone right now <laughs> well while i've while i've got an opportunity to before for it tells i would like to nominate another song for the the shitty playlist go on from uh that's queen related driven by you oh god isn't, isn't that brian may on that was a brian may song yeah yeah he did it for the ford ford advert ford advert that's right and they made a song out of it yeah driven yeah, by you it. ford 1991 yeah I, rem- I can remember the song. He can't sing for shit. And that's, either, and that's when you know probably that, that Freddie was was the one because obviously you got crap like that. And then, you know, 91, you had um, The Show Must Go On, which for me is probably my favourite Queen song. The final single they released in his lifetime and the, the last album closer. Well, it's so poignant as well. It's, I mean, yeah, 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 perfect. you know, it, it yeah. really was quite a moment. So, yeah. But that's oh, yeah, that's what that's exactly what we're talking about. It's those moments, and and that's possibly the biggest of the lot. And the video was quite poignant as well, wasn't it? Because it was he was clearly ill, like very very ill at that point, and he was still in the video, and still doing his thing. And and those are the things that we love about Queen. You know, I don't want this episode to just be us slagging off Queen because no, no, no. that's just you, just not the case. We it's just you hear him on points on that album. It's just almost being realistic. Song. Yeah, you, you, on that on that album, and especially, I mean, I love Innuendo, the, the title track as well. But you hear him on that song, on that on um, the show must go on. He's going for it. I mean, yeah, yep. it took every inch of his soul to put that, and he, yeah, it sounds like he's performing on his last ever song. Yeah, doesn't it? you know, yeah, yeah. So, and it's 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 the intensity you want from a performance. You know, it really yeah. it it captures it perfectly. It's fantastic. So that's what we're trying to say. You know, we're not we're not knocking Queen. We're not knocking what they've done. I'm not going to knock Bohemian Rhapsody because I'm sure there's people out there who go, oh, fucking Bohemian Rhapsody, some of this shit. It's not well, my daughter. Apart from your daughter, yeah. Um, <laughs> I have to say, that, Wayne's, that Wayne's World dig in the film, in Bohemian Rhapsody, that was good. Yeah, yeah, it was. Well, and See, what's mm. interesting for me about that is now, whenever that song comes on, it's kind of... It, it it occupies the same space as something like Come On Eileen now, doesn't it? Like it comes yeah, on, yeah. everyone puts their arms around each other, everyone's beery and boozed up, and you and everybody reenacts that moment in Waynesville. Yeah, yeah. The two things have just become absolutely meshed. Yeah, yeah, 100%. But I've got no problem with that. No, it's a beautiful because, moment. You know. Again, it's all about moments, isn't it? And it's the same as, as Live Aid. It's the same, you know, all the things that Queen have done over the years the first time freddie mercury put on the crown and the fucking cloak and all that when he was performing live and all of those things it's um it's what they're all about so you know before we get you know a tirade of abuse for slagging off queen that's not what we're here for we're just being realistic that you know they weren't really always that good so yeah just listen to 
my baby does me before any comments are made. Well, like I said, you only have to listen to this week's playlist. I'll put it all on there for you and you can turn it off in your droves because fucking terrible. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, just quickly going back to what I said earlier on, Rain in Blood is 36 years old. So I think we need to, uh, we need to just quickly touch on that for the last five minutes because um, we talk about thrash metal a lot on this podcast um, and it's, it's normally lazy stuff about Master of Puppets and Rust in Peace and, and you know, but I think Rain in Blood, it might not be the best thrash metal album of all time, but if you're gonna if if you're gonna introduce someone to thrash metal and what it's all about, Rain in Blood is that album, isn't it? Twenty nine and a bit and a bit minutes of just balls out thrash metal and a couple of the best thrash metal songs ever written. So it, you know it needs to be said. The drumming's not as good as Roger's Taylor though. <laughs> Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's an amazing piece of work. It's not my favourite Slayer album, to be fair. I think South of Heaven, I prefer, but I think it, it is almost a perfect thrash album. If you want that just visceral experience, that pure visceral experience, like I said, half an hour of just having yourself pushed up against the wall, Raining Blood is going to do the job. Yep. I it's mean, a like, fantastic record. I mean, a lot, a lot gets said about the in, in, the uh, the first track, Angel of Death, and then obviously the title track, Raining Blood. But for me, I mean, they're fantastic tracks, but I just love the combination of Altar of Sacrifice going straight into Jesus Saves. Oh, yeah. And then when you listen to it on Decade of Aggression and the way that they put those two songs together and that opening riff for Jesus Saves kicks in, you're yeah. like, dear God. <laughs> no, it's, it's, I, I listened to um, Decade of Aggression on the way up to Bloodstock this year, actually. I was driving up and that was had that CD on on the car and it just blew me away. It's the first time I've listened to it in a long time, like, a decade of aggression. Excuse, yeah, excuse the pun. Or the, is it a pun? It's not really, but you know what I mean. Um, it's an incredible live album. It's a great set. You know, it's the band captured at their peak. They're not, you know, it's not an obvious playlist where they're playing all those, you know, the obvious songs at the end for an encore, whatever. You know, they're, they're up front early in the set, all these classics, bang, bang, bang. Um, yeah, do well to to put decade of aggression on and just. I, mean, uh, I love I love the intro on that album. Just like you know, Hella Waits, but they've got that really slow build up and then it's evil. Greatest opening songs ever of all time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what we're rounding off with. Um, so yeah, thanks for listening. Next week, I believe we're uh, we're going to look at the Germans and uh, heavy metal in in the Germany because it's. Outside of Sweden, it's it's got to be, it's got to be up there, isn't it? As one of the most metal countries, we've been to Wacken once or twice back in the day. What an experience that was! So, we'll talk about that in a bit more detail next week. Um, and Sodom and Creator and and all that lot, strong, strong scene. So, thanks for listening this week. Padre's got to go. He's got somewhere to be that is more important than this podcast, which is fucking disgraceful. But Wherever you go, make sure you spread the word. Yeah. And uh, and we'll catch you all next week. Thank you very much. Yeah. Shut fuck up. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and Bean, thank you for joining us. And uh, we'll, Oh, yeah. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. We'll have you again in a few weeks' time. Appreciate it. Be excellent to each other. <laughs> 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 On that note, that is. <laughs>